In a world of art and entertainment, we often seek deeper meaning and overanalyze the presentation. Director Paul Verhoeven often uses B-movie genre as a vehicle for complex human emotions, social satire, and shocking sex and violence. Is this genius subtext for the artist's intent, or our own imagination looking for cosmic connection where none were intended? We call this dilemma the Verhoeven effect. Tell your friends, you're listening to the Verhoeven Effect Podcast. I'm Conlon. And I'm Nathan. We have another very special episode. We have the 1984 movie Purple Rain. Nathan, what is your history with this movie? Uh, I watched this movie um, in the 90s on HBO. Okay. But I already knew all the songs. Okay. I I like Prince music. It's like, it's cool music. Uh, You know, and, and... the movie was like a fun nostalgia trip to watch uh, again recently with my wife because we like the songs. We, they're on our playlists. And... Yeah, I never really re- listened to much Prince, and this is the first time I've ever seen this movie. So. Oh yeah, it's exciting. I mean, it's <laughs> it's kind of it's it's cool and weird, and it's like a time capsule. Yeah, uh, and then Prince is like this insanely talented music guy. Mm. Uh, not so much actor, but. Um, I mean, for a musician actor, he's fine. Yeah, yeah, he's fine. I mean, mostly this movie's asking people, like, just be yourself. So, and you'll find, (laughs) well, maybe you never will. Sometimes that is the hardest thing to do is to be yourself on screen, let alone another personality. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I've never acted and never will. So, it's, uh, Uh, this came out July 27th, 1984. Open number one at the box office against like I don't know Ghostbusters and it's like eighth week or something like that. Yeah, and like I think like Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom and it's like sixth week or something like that. Yeah, this is one of those crazy years for movies where it's like oh it was like oh I just got Karate Kid and it's like fourth week or something like that. <laughs> Directed by Albert Magnoli, who was like Prince's manager. Yeah, and. You know, he's, he directs a lot of his music video and concert stuff, so that sort of made sense. He also directed things like Tango of Cash, <laughs> uh, which is a fun movie, not a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Cinematographer's Donald E. Thorin, who, I don't know, I looked up his stuff the other day, and now i got to look it up again. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's got a lot. He's got a... He's got a I mean, like his main thing we like is he was the director of photography on Thief. Yeah. The Michael Mann movie. Yeah, I can um, kind of see that. <laughs> um, yeah, this movie looks pretty good, but... So, oh, yeah, he also did, like, The Golden Child. That was a really um, good movie. He did the sequel to to um, Ace Ventura. <laughs> okay. Wasn't that so also he's called little... When Doves Cry? <laughs> no, that's When Nature's Call. Oh, <laughs> something calls. like that. Yeah, okay, not the same thing. <laughs> Oh, he's the director of photography on Sin of a Woman. Okay. Nice. Oh, and Tango and Cash, of course. Yeah, he worked with that guy. Yeah, I think he worked with Magnolia on all his films that he directed. And he's so. got a cool Tolkien name, too. His <laughs> last name's Thorin. Uh, where's he from? Oh, he's from Nebraska. Because weirdly, he's... I'm not sure it's weirdly, but there's, like, a lot of sort of, like... um 
like largely African American movies that he worked on. Huh. Um, like what is like, there was like nothing to lose, which had, I mean, it's, it was a pairing. Of, it was Martin Lawrence and Tim Robbins, which is not a, it was a fine movie. It's not that great. Uh, and then like he did like the, the, the 2000 re- remake of shaft and he did like head of state, the one with Chris rock. Okay. Uh, and a lot of stuff around there. He's like, uh, and then it was written by Albert Magnoli and William Ben, who William Ben B I N N or Glenn B L I N N. Uh, so he worked on he did a lot of TV like Starsky and Hutch and stuff like that. But one of the things he wrote for he wrote for the Fame TV show, okay, which is basically about like people, you know, almost like American Idol, but like you know, early eighties. Yeah, people <laughs> wanted to make it about, dancing. Yeah. And people taking advantage of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think well, I've heard like of a crazy, like basically rape scene in the movie version of that, yes. that I've never seen fame, but uh, anyway, basically so like sexual, uh, uh, Kevin Smith talked about it. It's like, he's like, yeah, stuff you can never do today. Sexual situations involving a minor or yeah. crazy stuff like that. Like you can't film that anymore. It's like, <laughs> but back in the eighties you could. So yeah, they they because they like fame, they're like, we'll get him on because that'd be kind of the same thing. I heard this movie was made because at Prince's request, like I want to be, I want a movie about me, and so they made that happen. And though it was, even that, though, it was like, not a request, it was like I'm not going to make another music album for you unless I get <laughs> this movie. Okay, because Prince is kind of like that. He talks to him about himself in the third person a lot, and has a bunch of people around him that only say only said yes to Prince. So it's like, yeah, this is going to happen because. Remember, he was like 25 when this came out, too. It's yeah. like, he's, he definitely was a guy who was, uh, you know, it, you know it's I like mean, true very, prodigy. And very comp, and very comfortable or confident in his abilities. Yeah. And um, and had a, had a four-year career before this of fairly popular music, too. So we have some of his older stuff, too, is the deep cuts from early prints. <laughs> and a midwest guy <laughs> and a, yeah and a midwesterner through and through like film this movie there completely except for <laughs> her hotel scenes were filmed in new york uh, i think los angeles oh los angeles okay maybe that was something but yeah this is mainly minneapolis. well yeah because the beginning of this movie i thought like oh this must be new york it's like no this is minneapolis because <laughs> like they have it looking dirty and dingy uh very contrast and then it's the striking bounce between all like the the yellow cabs i'm like oh this must be new york because that's how they shoot new york all the time it's like no downtown minneapolis yep. <laughs> isn't minneapolis like one of those multi-cities where there's like three cities growing together into yeah one well yeah, it's, the, yeah it's part of the tw- it's part of the twin cities so yeah st paul which is the capital i believe of minnesota and then minneapolis was just bigger and more vibrant but they're literally i think it's just a river yeah disconnects them is the only thing <laughs> But yeah, but even though, but like what I read, it seemed like Prince did a lot of like the structural work for this. Like this would be a cool scene. I think this would go. But then he doesn't have any writing credit on this because Albert Magnolia and William Blinn put that all together. But yeah, it seemed like a lot of the structure was put together by Prince himself. So yeah, and, uh, and so the club course, they shot this in, they paid a hundred thousand dollars to have it closed for a month to shoot all the interior scenes. <laughs> but the club owners and the filmmakers were so impressed with Prince and his band because they basically were such pros. They showed up on time and they were done a week early shooting all their concert scenes. 
<laughs> and they couldn't believe like oh that guy runs a tight crew like there was like one two <laughs> takes and and it turns out it's like yeah he was a lunatic for like you didn't want to disappoint prince <laughs> talk to you about himself in the third person much like a boxer <laughs> and he wasn't an intimidating guy at five foot three but he <laughs> he was a very passionate man yeah and of course the cast is prince <laughs> Uh, Apollonia Catero. Known as the kid, though. Never referred to as Prince. Yeah, the Prince is, yeah, the kid. Well, yeah, basically everyone's playing a version of themselves. So, like, some people just have their name. So, like, he's never called Morris. I think one time he's called Morris Day. But, like, he's always just Morris. And Apollonia is just Apollonia in this movie. Uh, I don't know her stuff. It seems like she she was, like, she was unknown like an actor slash singer or something. Yeah, um, yeah because it's supposed to be... Um... Oh, who was it? Um, somebody wanted to go finish their degree at Harvard uh, and did so turn down the lead character because I think it was the lead lady from Flashdance. Uh, oh, my notes uh, on this. Damn it. Why do I want to say Beale? Yes, it was. That was supposed to, it was supposed to be Beale. That was supposed to be Jennifer the Beale or Apollonia, Jessica Beale? Jessica Beale, I think. Uh, yeah, Jennifer Beale. I Jennifer think Jessica Beale. Beale. Yeah. yeah. It was supposed to be her. And okay. Then, yeah, and that makes she sense. wanted to go back to Harvard or something. Yeah. And then uh, there was someone else, and then they Apollonia was completely unknown, but they decided to go with her. <laughs> and then Morris uh, Day and the Time was a, a group created by Prince, essentially as some kind of weird alternate rock thing that they were doing. And then it's like, let's put him in the movie, and that was. Well, I read I read some trivia, and I don't know true because it could just be like stories that. Prince and him went to high school together yeah. and they had a band in high school and then they had like created separate bands along the way and apparently there was strife with them in this movie like they never won time. yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah there was huge strife um because Prince was like super moody on set and wanted things this way and that way and uh, and this guy was kind of like yeah cuz they I mean they knew each other through high school but this guy there was an attempt by Prince. I don't know if you remember. Um, oh, remember the band Parliament, where they had yeah. kind of. It was kind of like okay. Remember like Guar, where they had this yeah. whole weird world of like feuding with other people or whatever. Well, that's kind of like Parliament started that, and then Prince wanted to take that on, and that's like Morris Day and the Time was. A, they were intended to be like, oh, we're gonna feud across albums, you know, and some. Oh, okay. Huh. In the in the music world, and then that never really panned out because people were like, this is odd, and nobody's, <laughs> this isn't really vibing with people, but they love Prince, so so then it became like a thing in the movie where it's like, oh, this will be the rivalry will play out. It was like that kind of, because Prince was a like had all these elaborate plans for music and stuff and. Like, cause this, cause this, remember this came out two years after Pink Floyd, the wall, which was another art rock thing that was like, people liked it. It well, was like, well received. And, the, and, the, and the, there was kind of a, and then streets, well, you caught, streets of fire came out somewhere around here too. Yeah. I think probably maybe it came out this year, but yeah, I mean like that, that Pink Floyd, the wall is what you'd call a concert film. Mm-hmm. It was kind of just like back to back music videos where this is more of a narrative. Yeah. Constant narrative. It's still kind of a concert film, but it's more of a narrative. Yeah, they attempt to like a stat. They don't just have Bob Geldof as a stand-in for Roger Waters through <laughs> a bunch of musical vignettes, which are produced like movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's but yeah, there was kind of an attempt to like let's fuse rock and roll and movies because like 
rock and roll musicals had been very popular on Broadway throughout the 70s. And there was a lot of different uh, concepts of like, how do we make this happen? And almost none of them worked, but, uh, or, or they were very popular with a, kind of a clicky genre films. And uh, so this one and The Wall were like, I think, financially successful. Even though they're sort of a different thing, but they're not because they're all based on an album. Purple Rain yeah. was just an album that, like, well, we're going to sing most of the songs from that in this movie. Oh, was the album constructed first, or was it like a simultaneous with the release? I, th- of the I think movie? it was simultaneous, but I believe the album was constructed first. Okay. Yeah, because this is considered a rock musical, <laughs> which I'm okay with because it's not people breaking a song randomly. It's like here's the place where music happens. Yeah, and it makes sense logically. <laughs> yeah, so Prince was like. In 1975 was like his breakthrough single, so he would have been like what 15. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> he'd been around a while. Well, yeah, as far as what I read up is like, I guess his dad was like a jazz musician, his mom was a singer. Yeah, uh, I think that's how it went. So something like he, that. So, you know, he had a he so basically had a leg up experience wise. I don't know if that like got his foot in the door or anything, but like yeah. He basically learned how to play every instrument by like the time he was like eight years old. So just a literal prodigy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you can tell. I mean, he's a genius yeah. at what he does. It's like, who thinks oh, like yeah. this? Okay. No, I, I mean, mean, Purple Rain was released as a soundtrack to the album of the film of the same name. Okay. So, it was, yeah, it coincided because the one before this was 1999. That was in. 19- oh, right. Huh. Yeah, that was in 1982. <laughs> when 1999 seemed like the far future <laughs> uh, so we've act one we get an announcer who looks like alice cooper but isn't <laughs> yeah had me thinking for a second like wait a minute is it no that's not him. <laughs> i looked it up no he's just some guy i don't know if he like worked at the what was it called the first avenue first avenue and seventh club or something like that um I, yeah it's called the seventh club is what i picked up well, now I heard it's just called First Avenue, and then like I looked at their website, and it's like First Avenue, and then like and Seventh, okay, because <laughs> it's on First Avenue and Seventh Street. Oh no, the entry is on Seventh Street. Okay, huh? Weird. All right, yeah. So there's First <laughs> Avenue and there's Seventh Street, and here's the entry. Okay, okay. But also, it's super weird because it's like a giant curved front. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a cool so, looking place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it looks like it should be something. And, you know, it looks like, you know, it was like, you know, New York has the triangle, uh, with triangle was it triangle shirtwaist? <laughs> what, what, what's that building that we're triangle building? With the flat iron building? Oh, is that the flat iron building? Okay. I thought well, that's what I'm like thinking a, of when you say that. I might, I might be thinking of the right I thing. I remember there's like something cause it's called like the triangle shirtwaist company or whatever it was. It was like it had a fire there. Uh, I don't know why. Yeah, the triangle shirtwaist factory. Yeah, that's. Okay. I mean, is that why they established like you need fire escapes and you can't have ten thousand people in a building making garments? Is that yes, okay. exactly? Because it right. caught on fire and killed everybody. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I, I remember what you're talking about. Okay, no, it's yeah, no, you're right. It's a flat iron building. The Triangle Shirtwaist Factory is a building in New York, but it's a different, different one. A different sad place. Okay. I was confused because that building was called Triangle, and the other one is, and it's shaped like a triangle. Yeah, it's a triangle. So let's call it uh, what? Flat Iron. Perfect. <laughs> uh, we go right into a Prince concert. Uh, although here they're they're called like the Revolution. Yeah. And he's just called the Kid. 
Yeah, that actually uh, the print was always Prince and the Revolution. All the people that were playing instruments and that those were the actual people that played with them. Until, oh, oh they like were okay. Nineteen ninety or something, and then they kind of <laughs> broke up. Or they, I think they just went their own ways. Yeah, well, it would be hard to, I don't know. Like, I mean, Prince is like the musical version of of Stanley Kubrick, where it's like he can do your job better than you can. Yeah. So it's really hard to work for him. <laughs> so you like standing in people's shadows, huh? It's like, <laughs> well, no, I'm a human being too. No, you're just a musical instrument at this point. <laughs> Damn it, you're right. Because when he tells you like you need to play it like this, you can't be like. No, I'm the expert. This is my instrument. Yeah. I know how to play it. He's like, no, I'm the expert. <laughs> I know how to play that instrument. I'm telling you how to play it. Screw you, Prince. What do you know? <laughs> Everyone's 13 times over platinum by the time they're 26, right? <laughs> That's normal. That's like Michael Jackson numbers. <laughs> uh, it's We got super 80s styling and music going on. Oh, yeah. Here, like, um, like the whole crowd's all this is like the only time the crowd is like dressed up like everybody's basically ziggy stardust but they're never like that the rest of the movie but here they are (laughs) yeah they're almost like what are these proto-punk minneapolis people listening to (laughs) what is essentially pop rock music it's like that's interesting uh yeah we get prince who here he's just called the kid he performs let's go crazy we get a lady skipping on a cab fare this is apollonia played by apollonia catero or catera and this is where I thought it was New York because, again, like the yellow cab and yeah. stuff like that. And it's dingily shot. And, like, I've always heard of, like, the crazy, you know, music scene in, in New York. I, I didn't know. I don't even know if there was at this time or it's pure fiction of the crazy musical scene in Minneapolis. Yeah, there was but... a guy named Prince. Um, <laughs> and he brought a lot of people and money. And, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of things that go on in Minneapolis. Well, I, you know, I mean, I don't know if, like, this just works for the movie or if this is how things work. Like, because here they talk about like you know we have free house bands and we like perform, have basically these same three bands are coming in and doing performances every night presumably I'm like is that how that works <laughs> I have no idea <laughs> don't know it's made for a great story yeah 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 it's like yeah because narratively you want to have like well we're all on tour because that'd be way harder to produce oh yeah it'd be a nightmare <laughs> Prince on a bus looking sullen all the time. <laughs> So here, like, it gives it like a so like yeah. I just I just know how that stuff works. I know like when you're starting out, like yeah, you're gonna play like your local clubs and stuff like that, and then maybe you get attached to like you get to be an opener for a bigger act and kind of tour around a bit. But here it's like you, we have like three house bands, uh, and maybe there's a rotation or something. But here it's just like there's three house bands and it becomes a competition. But yeah, it seemed kind of. Uh, this is like a lot of people have done like interesting compare and com- contrast to this in Eight Mile, because huh. it's like it's kind of like the same story. Yeah, and but it's just different genre of music. It was set in Detroit, but it was like supposedly like there are these this underground rap battles in Detroit that led to like stardom and stuff. And then you find out like how it really happened. It's like. Oh, okay. So it's it's more like it's more consistency than that one shot, and it's like you made it. But that one <laughs> shot thing is great because that like all the sports movies are about the underdog team goes to the mega bowl and they throw the ball through the hoop or whatever and they win, <laughs> and everyone hates them. But that's like the real sports stories are like no, these guys tried hard for fifteen years and got one shot at this, but it's like <laughs> but they steadily built up to that. Whereas you yeah, know, so that's why. 
Uh, this movie's compared a lot with Eight Mile, interestingly, thematically too. And it's like, oh, it does fit if you watch both movies. It's like, <laughs> yeah, kind of. Just Prince is more raw talent, and Eight Mile is more like, this is sort of sad, but I'm glad this kid got out of the trailer park <laughs> by singing songs about killing his mom. And so like, that's kind of <laughs> cool. You know, it's, uh, uh, and, and at least one of his albums sold more than Prince. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Apollonia here. She's she's one of those impossibly beautiful women. Yeah, still is to this day. If you look her up, it's like, oh wow, she held up great. She's like in well, her fifties like now, and it's like, ha. Huh. Well, it's like uh, who else is it? Oh, I'm trying to think of. Oh, Rashida Jones. It's oh, like yeah. her. They have like they're like they're like kind of too cute to be thought of as sexy, but then they have kind of a side to them that's like kind of sexy. Where yeah. it's like usually that doesn't mix. And no. so, yeah, that's what, like, yeah, and those people are just, like, impossibly beautiful. It's like, this doesn't work. <laughs> she is both girlish and mature. How does this happen? It's like, <laughs> why, and what am I supposed to think about myself for observing this? <laughs> but yet I do. I need to start working out. <laughs> yeah. See, this, you know, this is what, you know, that's, you know, that's why, uh, you know, in the Iliad and the Odyssey, like, that's what sometimes you do will inspire wars. Yeah. <laughs> when you could have just asked her it's like hey do you want us to fight it's like no (laughs) well we're going to (laughs) i'm going to assume what you what you think would be cool (laughs) because i know what gets a girl hot like me running a sword through someone's you know lower intestines and they die screaming and you're like yeah covered in blood it's like let's go to bed now (laughs) oh that's kind of gross uh we cut to some dude vacuuming his apartment he's getting dressed this is morris day uh, just as Morris here, it's a, this movie's it's almost shot like a horror movie here. Like yeah, Freddy Krueger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got like weird lighting all over the place, <laughs> and, and just like it's contrast and just things are dirty. <laughs> yeah, it's people walking down ill hallways that are lit in ways they aren't in real life. Like they, <laughs> they don't have the lights shining up in dumpy apartments, but in this movie they do because it makes everything <laughs> look crazy and weird. Yeah. Uh, we got Apollonia. She's at the this club and she's like trying to get a job as a singer. Uh, she's like trying to look for the manager of the club. Uh, Morris Day and the Times take the stage. Here they're just called the Time. Yes. Um, which I'm not sure if that's how they're presented in real life or it's always just Morris Day and the Times. That's always their always one album is. Say it. Uh, let's see what is it. Yeah, because like the only, the only I vaguely know of this because like this is often referenced by Kevin Smith, and he also has crazy stories about working with Prince and stuff too. But like he's a big Prince fan and a fan of this movie, so a lot of all, all my references of this movie come from Kevin Smith. So he's always talking about uh, more stay in the times. But here they they play Jungle Love, which I don't know if that's their big hit or if they even had a big hit. <laughs> no, it is. Yeah, more more stay in the time. I'm trying to look up there. Because Morris Day had albums on his own too, and I'm trying to find the Morris Day in the time because I think they had like two albums. Okay. And all the songs they sing in this movie are on the first album. Oh, okay. I so think. two albums. So did, did that? Did they make that album in concurrence with that, or did it already exist before the movie? Uh, it, like, did, they, did they get two albums out of this movie? <laughs> uh, no, a lot of the time stuff, well, at least two of the songs were on the 1999 tour when they were the backup band. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that came with uh, the Jungle Love single was on the 1999 tour. Oh, they also played it in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Okay. 
Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, Morse Day actually showed up and they played it. Cool. <laughs> um, uh, there the it is. Okay, Morris Day in the Time, 1984 album, Ice Cream Castle. <laughs> Jungle Love and the Bird were on it, and they were featured in the film Purple Rain. Okay. Uh, we cut to the kid is like staying. This is, he finished his performances. This is Prince, but we're going to be calling him the kid. <laughs> and it was this um, great performance of this song. Immediately gets you into the movie. Oh, the Jungle Love one? No. The, uh, uh, oh, the Let's Go Crazy? Yeah. It's immediately. That's yeah. one of the best songs ever, by the way. <laughs> Even to this day, it's like, I'll still listen to that. And then listen to like Nirvana's <laughs> Come As You Are. I don't know what that says about me that both those songs appeal to me at the same time, but. But this is after he's the after the revolution had played, so Morris Day and the Times are playing, and so he he like the the kid just pops up behind Apollonia, and he's just standing there, kind of staring at her, and she knows he's staring, but she doesn't like she like eventually just turns around, says like good performance, and just kind of leaves his eyesight, <laughs> and he's got like mirrored sunglasses on, very super John Lennon sunglass round sunglasses <laughs> that you wouldn't wear at night. He's basically dressed like a pirate from a, like a free, yeah. from a movie with. The purple, He's dressed purple. like the third Doctor. It's always the, <laughs> the the best Doctor Who for style was was always <laughs> like I wish I could rock one of those shirts. Um, uh, then when the kid goes home in, in his purple suit and drives on his purple motorcycle, <laughs> uh, those motorcycles are special to me. I passed my driving test on a Honda CM four hundred. Uh, only mine wasn't the automatic one. Mine, you had to actually shift gears. Oh, okay. But those are considered training motorcycles because they're real easy to ride. Huh. That's why I took my road test on one because they're very like stable and easy and low-powered to, to operate. Huh. So uh, The one he was driving, though, only had two speeds on it. It was known as the Honda-matic. So yeah. all you had to do was press the clutch, and it would change gears. It had two gears instead of four. But, yeah, when I saw that bike, I was like, wait a minute. Now, mine didn't have the weird big – that was a custom-made front end he had on that. Yeah. Like the rain guard type thing. But, yeah, it's like, oh, that's one of those bikes. I did my road test on that. And I passed it the first time, which they say most people <laughs> don't do. And it's like, thank you, Honda. Because the actual what, bike it? I rode weighed 300 pounds more than that, and I would not <laughs> have been able to pass the road test on that one. <laughs> because it was a harley um, davidson road king classic look it up everyone <laughs> don't have it anymore too many funerals but uh do you do you know if uh prince did his own stunts here or do they have other I people have no idea <laughs> like i said those aren't hard motorcycles to ride they have more brakes than gas so if he probably did yeah. it himself because uh and also they're very small so you could cause when i took my road test on it, it was like a monkey f football but when he rides it it looks like oh that's kind of cool like it's a cool looking bike you know well i just didn't know if uh like who requested the motorcycle oh was him okay because he had that early symbol on it remember that symbol he did later when he was the the artist formerly known as yeah. prince and it was the male and female symbol merged okay pay attention on the rain guards on the front of that that symbol's on there a kind of an early version of it yeah and i was like oh so that's been in his mind for a long time <laughs> it wasn't just a contract dispute that caused that. I see. Uh, he gets home and his, he hears his parents fighting. He goes in to stop it, but he, then he gets hit by his dad, and that kind of just like makes everything uncomfortable, and everybody stops, uh, you know, hitting each other. But stop <laughs> hitting mom cool. long enough to beat up your son. Uh, which you know, this very quickly establishes things like 
one, he still loves his parents. Two, they're fighting and there's abuse going around. It's like, okay, so things aren't good. <laughs> yeah, no wonder this guy's a little troubled. <laughs> he seems a little flighty for a reason. <laughs> and then we cut to Morris is talking with Billy. Billy Sparks is like the club owner, I believe. Yeah. And they talk about like the kid is missing shows. And so they're looking to get rid of him. Where it seems like the revolution go out, they play one song, and then the kid just leaves. And then, like, they don't play any more music. <laughs> yeah. Which then puts a, a large onus on the other acts who, like, they all hate them hate them for it. So, Which is, say there's three acts, and then a fourth act appears, but I believe that we only see, we see one from that newly created act, and then it's just Morse Day, and then there's the revolution. I think that's all there is, but there's presumably a fourth act hanging around somewhere, but I can't remember uh who it is <laughs> maybe it's in the notes and i completely forgot uh so we've act two the club it's just called the club or no no it's called it's called the first avenue and seventh street club which again they it seems like they change it to emphasize first avenue uh the kid is at the club and he's talking to the waitress who gives him a demo which i forget who the demo's from or maybe it's just lisa and wendy i can't remember because they yeah, create it's, a demo it's, later the two, it's, it's the two girls from the revolution, the revolution. And then we cut to a different spot, and Morris is holding auditions because he wants to put a girl, a girl group together, uh, but he doesn't like. And so they just have like a, a couple of these ladies are doing just like gymnastic dance routines, and he's like, "Ah, you gotta follow the. <laughs> no, you can't think for yourself. Follow my orders." And like, "I oh, were missing something," and so you know that something's gonna be Apollonia. So <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, they're just like in like like the major conflict in the movie basically is that. The kid is making music that he likes, which I don't know. It seems like everybody else likes it too. And it's always performed well. And it's like, yeah, this is cool music. But they tell you in the movie that like, it's not pulling, they're not putting butts in seats. So we, they're, they're, they're becoming a problem. So we need to get rid of them. Although that doesn't just, that just never seems true throughout the movie. Yeah. It seems like a little <laughs> unlikely that like, is this city big enough to support this? This like you know basically, uh, what would you call this today? Like the Las Vegas things, the where the actresses or the singers go, and what are those called? Residencies. Oh, like residency, yeah, residency. Yeah, it's, it's like, is there enough of a music scene to support you know this this residencies putting on shows every night? <laughs> yeah, in a, in a city, you know, what, what? I don't know. Let's look it up real quick. What's a, what's the population? Like, I think it's like four hundred thousand people or something. <laughs> Yeah, so, well, the city, 400,000, and then, yeah, I don't know, but then you blow that out, it's going be like a but million. Yeah, but also St. Paul's also around that same, so it'd be like a, about a million in, in and the And then the suburbs, area. you can throw in another 500,000. So, yeah, you're yeah, looking yeah. at like a million and a half people. Sorry about that. But, um, <laughs> but anyways, like the thing is, like it seemed, the, the way they pose it here is that the kids, the revolution music is too weird. Yeah. For mainstream and so this girl group he's making is going to be like total mainstream and they're they're going to knock it out of the park put butts in seats and you know it doesn't seem like the ultimate it seems like they just need to draw a crowd there's no, there doesn't seem this big onus on like let's make an album and sell it that's not really a yeah. part of this movie no it's it's touring <laughs> it's the they saw the future it's like you got to get asses and seats can't make money selling tapes <laughs> Real to real cassette tapes or whatever the genre was. Now they had tapes. Uh, then we can see Morris is on the street with like his bodyguard or something named Jerome, who's like kind of like a backup dancer on the stage. But like, I don't know what Jerome's job is. He's just kind of a guy 
who's around. Uh, they He's like basically there lady. as we see later in the movie to project misogyny in the most <laughs> extreme ways. Yeah, well, yeah, a lady comes up and she's angry at at Morris, and the reaction to this is Jerome, like like a wrestler, just picks her up <laughs> in a gorilla slam style and then just throws her in a dumpster. <laughs> Which is a scene they almost cut out of the movie because the people uh, distributing the movie are like, that's way too misogynistic. <laughs> and then you realize, well, it's 1984. Go wild. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of things in this movie you couldn't do today, but it wasn't made today. So, no. <laughs> that's just how it is. You know, we don't have to like apologize for it and tell you not to watch it. Just remember, it's, it came out of a time and place that was also wrong at stuff. So. What was this movie rated? <laughs> Just R-rated? Um, I think it would be, being that there's nudity, but sometimes in the that didn't matter too much. Yeah, I'm not sure, because I think because another thing too you got to remember about movies nowadays, R rating is a kiss of death. Unless yeah, it's it's some really weird like indie movie or something where it's like, yeah. oh, you can't get asses and seats with an R-rated movie, so they don't make them anymore. So yeah. it's not like these movies were especially risque. It's just like, oh, we can cover like a seven million dollar budget. You know, we're pretty confident. <laughs> uh, so they let a lot of things go. Whereas nowadays it's like, yeah, you can't make like an R rated Marvel movie or something. Although that would be amazing. Just like the most insanely violent Marvel movie ever. Just no, I mean the, the closest we get to is like the boys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they should have one where just Hulk is just a lunatic. Just, just rips people to sh pieces. It's like hard R rated. Like, what, what the, what are they doing at Disney? It's like they're being cool. Damn it. <laughs> So no, yeah, this was rated R. So. Yeah, I could. Yeah, it seems. Like <laughs> uh, we cut to the kid and Appalina hanging out, and they like flirt with each other. They go to a motorcycle ride out in the country, and this was I was like, wait, this isn't New York. <laughs> yeah, are they in upstate <laughs> New York? <laughs> Find out that Apollonia is from New Orleans, and she came here to try to make it in the music business, which seems like going from New Orleans to Minneapolis is the wrong move. But yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm Maybe just a Nashville. little hometown girl with a dream, even though she sounds like she's from New York. I'm from Louisiana. It's like, really? Okay, cool. And here we get the, I'm not sure if it's a famous scene, but you, you have to purify. She, he tells her you have to pass the initiation. Like you have to purify, purify yourself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka, which when he said Minnetonka, I was like, wait, that's, I don't. That sounds like Minnesota or something. That's this probably that isn't Midwestern. Yeah, it's like oh, it's yeah, the, so like, some yeah, Indians that we Apple. killed. Uh, it's, we named <laughs> it after them. Uh, so Apollonia gets naked. So yay, because uh, you know if you thought she was impossibly beautiful, she also is. <laughs> oh yeah, those are breasts, some so. cracking titties, folks. Uh, <laughs> just go ahead and edit that out. But yeah, <laughs> even my wife was like, "Wait, you're gonna love this." I was like, "Oh wow, okay." <laughs> You're right. Uh, which, uh, yeah, uh, they're playing around. Nobody's there, so it's, it seems like nobody gets hurt. So this is like relatively okay, but this is also just mean and weird too. But what? what I, well, you trick you and, trick a girl into taking her clothes off and diving into freezing cold waters, which apparently yeah. he knew about. She didn't know about because, I mean, I know about the Great Lakes. Like when my son went out for Memorial Day, it's like, oh, they were on a boat, but you don't get in the water because you can still see the ice cubes at the bottom of the great lakes <laughs> even you know at the beginning of june because it's like no those things freeze and they're it's crazy cold <laughs> the same thing in minnesota so she didn't know this 
yeah so she jumps in she gets naked and jumps in and then yeah she's he as she's jumping in he goes wait that's not <laughs> so then he stops and then she jumps in and then she's like screaming because it's freezing cold yeah uh, and then the kid tells her that's not Lake Minnetonka. <laughs> and then he just like abandons her for a moment and goes off and does some bike stunts, but then he rolls back around to pick her up. So then it's slightly okay. <laughs> yeah. It's only weirdly pervy and strange a little bit. Yeah. If he just left, that would have been like un- unredeemable, but he, at least he comes back. <laughs> hey, look, I know you're on the edge of hypothermia. Let's jump on the back of my bike. And see what that does for your core temperature. <laughs> We're going to turn you into the human psychrometer. Yes. <laughs> he says not to get his seat wet, and then she kind of laughs at it, and then she kisses him on the cheek, and so they head off. Back to the city, I presumably. Yes. Then we have a scene with Morris and Jerome where they're, like, hanging out and basically doing a version of who's on first bit. Yeah. But, like, with the word password, it's like... You know, they're trying to basically drums trying to say password is the password but then they just don't get it and it's just like a weirdly isolated scene it's like do we really need this scene oh it's fine you know? <laughs> i mean like morris day you know he kept being a musician but he also was hired to do act in other movies after this so he you know he's a he's a fine comedic actor so yeah he's like a throwback to an earlier time and then we're back to nightclub time they're in the back room the Band's guitar player Wendy, which in the in the IMDb, it's everyone's everyone in the Revolution has their name, and then it's appended with the Revolution, so it's Wendy Dash the Revolution. <laughs> oh, I must have these backwards. Uh, I forget. I, well, here I have it as Wendy is the guitar player, and I believe Lisa is the drummer. Okay, um, but I might have that backwards. But anyways, that's how I have it listed, <laughs> and it might change later on. <laughs> so. Uh, oh, Wendy's asking the kid about like listening to other people's music to try to like, hey, we should try to do that, but he doesn't. Basically, like, the kid's like, I'm a genius, and he doesn't want to take any influence from anybody else. He thinks he can just spontaneously generate everything, and then like everything will work out. So he's just unwilling to to cooperate with other people, um, which is weird because that seems like <laughs> it seems like Prince is like identifying his own flaws. <laughs> And making the character learn throughout the movie, but like in real life, never did. <laughs> yeah. Well, Prince has got uh, to learn from Prince through another person who now we are in the fourth dimension of peoplehood. Prince is going to learn, you know, from Prince that the kid was not really a great person. But that doesn't mean Prince is a, isn't a great person because <laughs> Prince. That's how he <laughs> talked. I mean, that, that's that was the stuff he said. Uh but here, Lisa and Wendy are trying to convince him, like, hey, we need to do something different, and he doesn't want to listen. And so they kind of walk out and sort of protest. But the other men are, uh, the other members just kind of, like, blow it off. It's like, eh, whatever. But then they also kind of, like, leave him alone. It's like, they're right, but we're less, we have less fervor about it. So. Well, we have, a, we have jobs as entertainers, so we're not going to, like, rock this boat too hard. Uh, <laughs> because, like, otherwise, we're not getting paid to do this. Also, the kids doing this weird ventriloquist act with, with like this weird dummy in a <laughs> just you know Prince showing off his other skills. Like, also, I'm a ventriloquist. Like, thanks, Prince. <laughs> you can do anything, can't you? <laughs> just when I wasn't jealous enough of you, <laughs> you can do something ta- annoyingly talented. <laughs> um, and use that to mock other people. 
<laughs> who want to express themselves artistically but aren't as good as you. They're going to uh, use he pops... a little monkey in a cup like, you <laughs> Uh, the kid pops in the demo tape he got from, I think it's from the waitress and I'm, I can't remember if this is the Lisa and Wendy demo tape or if it's just a different demo tape, but no, this is the Lisa a, and Wendy demo tape. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then a guy comes in, he gets like a five minutes of showtime. We cut to Morris is hitting on Apollonia. He buys her a drink. This is all just, <laughs> and it's really awkward <laughs> and gross. It's like, if you're trying to hit on this, I mean, number one, you're a cool looking guy with a cool suit on. And your hitting on women's skills are like worse than mine. <laughs> like I've met like sheet metal fabricators that, that like have a better groove than this character does in this movie for hitting on Apollonia. Yeah, the line I wrote down, he says, like, you the finest mother I've seen tonight. And she's like, What did you say? Um Yeah, I I mean that line is made for a woman to go like this, like, what are you saying, weirdo? You know, it's like you're you're setting yourself up to fall. Uh, so Morris strikes out, obviously. Because how I picked up women, how I met my wife was like, I don't have a car. Have you ever been to the sci-fi bookstore in Fort Wayne? That was my pickup line. And she's like, no, do I want to? And I was like, yeah, you do. <laughs> I was our first date. <laughs> Only I didn't know it because I'm, you know, I don't have any skills either. So, yeah. but I wasn't wearing a zoot suit and didn't have a cool mustache <laughs> or or a butler slash bodyguard. Yeah, I was like a dishwasher slash at a, backup dancer <laughs> at a restaurant that doesn't exist anymore. So. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the revolution plays. This time the kid is playing piano and singing. So, because the first time we see him, he's playing guitar and singing. Now he's piano and singing. This is basically like, oh, he can do anything, can he? Because uh, also, like the the great thing about, yeah, because there's, there's a crazy combination that Prince has and why he's just an impossible genius. Because like he has skills of Michael Jackson, uh, Jimi Hendrix. Like you throw like <laughs> who's Ziggy Stardust? <laughs> oh, David Bowie. Yeah, he's got David Bowie, like yeah, just anything. He can do it all. Yeah, he's, he's Michael got... Jackson if Michael Jackson ever had normal sex. Like it's like, <laughs> oh, this is what Michael Jackson would be like if he wasn't like tormented as a child and stuff. Like, <laughs> and maybe Prince was tormented as a child, but he reacted differently to it. Yeah. Because he was doing the uh, same stuff Michael Jackson was like, woo, you know, and all that. Like yeah. nobody does that anymore. But it was it was cool in the eighties. Well, I mean, it's like here, it's like he's not a better dancer than michael jackson but he can he's as close as he can be and but he's still like he's doing all that dance while he's also playing guitar and singing yeah he also has like this weird he can do a high falsetto i think that's the right word you know high falsetto he can do it cleanly and he also has this weird like kind of like cracky version of it where it's like it garbles like almost like a tom waits thing yeah that is really hard to do right and not sound embarrassing but he manages to hit that narrow window <laughs> yeah. it's like nobody can do that except for prince yeah it's it's like i can do high and then i can be what do they call it vocally vulnerable without failing <laughs> yeah yeah term. yeah it's like oh this is like right on the edge of failure like well we can see failure but we're gonna walk right back from the edge and then we're gonna play the guitar with our tongue or something like oh wow <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> oh. 
which uh, I don't know. There's also movies like this, like I hate where it's like they, the, the way they make it seem, they make it seem like songs are created spontaneously. Oh yeah. I hate when they do that where it's like, we just created this on the spot where it's like, no, you have everything here has to be rehearsed hundreds of times. Yep. It's like, you can't, Hey, a, 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 what do you call that? Phil harmonica or concert, whatever. Like they get sheet music. You don't get that if you're a band. Yeah. <laughs> like, like you got to play, you got to know your music by heart, and you got to put on a dance routine and put on a show. <laughs> oh, yeah. And to do that, you have to practice all the time. But how it's presented in movies is like inspiration is suddenly struck. Everyone hits the same vibe, and, a, and it just, it just, it, music and dance routine are created spontaneously. Yeah. And it always works that way. It's like, oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Like, this is why. This is why liberal arts is, is it's like writing and making music. Like that's easy. That's not really work. It's like, yeah, are you out of your mind? Do you know what you're talking about? And I'm someone who does none of those things because I have no imagination at all. I'm just in awe of it. It's like, oh, when people create things spontaneously that are immediately intriguing and enthralling to me, I'm jealous of those people. It's like, how did you do that? But everyone else is like, well, anyone can do that. It's like, no, no they can't. <laughs> it's actually try to do it. It's impossible. But I mean, that, I, mean I usually hate in that movie because it seems like that's a rep, that's a misrepresentation of things, how things are actually created. But in this case, Prince is so talented, you can believe he just spontaneously creates this. Song. Yeah, you want to believe that about him. It's it's like, yeah. oh man, maybe I could be this guy. Too. <laughs> I mean, Prince is very much like. Remember when we watched Beethoven a couple a few episodes back? It's like, yeah, that's oh, the kind the, of the yeah. Uh, yeah, okay, the movie, yeah, uh, Amadeus. Yeah. Um, obviously, yeah, Amadeus. Um, Mozart. Yeah. I was like, Did we watched the child, the children's movie about the dog. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, I screwed that up. But yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, oh, this is like watching that. Yeah. Um, that's what that's the level of talent you're seeing here. Uh, the the, the so he's playing the piano. The stage is bathed in purple. The song is about how beautiful people hurt the most, and it's basically just about Apollonia. The song's narrative parallels the plot, so it makes it easy. <laughs> so. Which I always like. Uh, and here's where you get the conflict because, like, they play the song and then, like, the kid just leaves and then the band is in the back are like, he just plays one song and leave and we got to cover him. And so that's where there's strife between all the bands here. Yeah. Uh, Apollonia takes off with a kid. They go to his house, but uh, his parents are home. So they, like, go down. They may, I, I think it's just the basement, but there must be a different way to go in. So, like, because it looks like, is this just a cellar that's separate from the, the house or is this just the basement? So it's apparently it's just the basement. So. The kid plays the tape of some like weird freaky music and he like jump scares Apollonia and it sounds like it's like sex moans, but it's apparently a woman crying and it's just played backwards. Yeah, it's like, extra. It's like that's weird. Yeah, who has that? What psychonaut has that like just loaded up on a reel to reel? It's like, hey, come over to my house. I want to play something for you. Uh, which I mean, that gives you insight. Like he's just messing around with things at home and like seeing what will work. And of course, it's like nobody's gonna listen to this. Yeah. Uh, they make yeah, well, out. I There's forgot about that play. when they when they uh played that. I was like, oh, what was they gonna? Is he gonna play Tool next? Like, what's going on? We're we gonna listen to <laughs> prison sex after that. It's like, huh. uh, the kid and Apollonia make out, and then they have some like foreplay sex, but then they fade out before it just shows them having sex. Uh, yeah, uh, but what a weird sex scene. 
Because <laughs> it's like he's guy has his hand on her genitals. Yeah. Like in like a kind of a doggy style. Like I was watching, I was like, oh wow, they actually put this in theaters. Like imagine how <laughs> awkward that was to with like forty guys filming it. <laughs> yeah. And it's not. I mean, she does have lingerie on. on, but yeah. Yeah, but he still I mean, has his it, hand on her. Well, yeah, well, yeah, he's basically touching her the way he touches himself during a performance. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, a lot of cross, a lot of crotch and chest, you know, yeah. scraping across the chest, crotch grabbing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we cut to morning. He drops her off somewhere. Uh, they kiss a bunch, like just little light kisses, and they promise to see each other again. The kid comes across Lisa and Wendy practicing their own music, to, but to his annoyance, is like, no, you guys don't make music. I make music, which is, yeah. you know, got to be a fun thing to say to a fellow artist. Yeah. <laughs> um, You're wasting everyone's time, <laughs> including your own. Now let's get with the program. You know, it's like, yeah, that's got to make you feel good. It's like, I've worked on this for like two years. It's like, well, it sucks. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get my little monkey out and do some ventriloquism. You know? <laughs> I think queens of the stone age kind of uh, i think they're still together i can't remember if they broke up or not but like every member of their band has like three other bands that they're in so they just they figured it out for a pretty long time just oh like, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah if if there if there's a division in the band just let the person go off and do the have their own thing for a while we're talented enough that we can always come back together and do our our sort of style here and then everybody can do their own thing and everyone's happy and everybody makes millions of dollars so <laughs> I, yeah, I always thought Queens of the Stone Age was a super group because those guys were in so many other bands. It's like, yeah, yeah. oh, did they just, is this like a super group? Like, it's like all, you know, it's just like, uh, like one of the guys from Led Zeppelin and one of the guys from all these, you know, getting together and doing that in the 80s and 90s. Uh, but no, it wasn't. I just thought it was. What was that? What's the band like? What was it called like the Yardbirds or something where it had like, where they had like, a guy from the who and like like one of the beatles and somebody else oh, or yeah, eric like clapton or something yeah i forget yeah Let me, uh, look that up real quick beings we're talking about music see we can go down these rabbit holes yeah see the Yardbirds, uh 63 i think they were before those guys were famous oh okay uh yeah let's see jimmy page jeff beck jim mccarthy were the original guys and then uh, eric clapton joined later and yeah they were together for in different uh different iterations from 63 to 68 huh yeah yeah that's only thing that came in mind of just like weird bands where it's like oh those guys split off and made equally the <laughs> the biggest bands in the world <laughs> oh yeah so yeah it's also like the rest of the band leave because the kid wasn't there for them to practice so we don't see them practicing a lot, but that's presumably what they're meant to go there and do their job. <laughs> Got to practice for tonight. It's like, nah, it's all spontaneous. Then we cut to Morris is offering a song and dance routine to Apollonia for his new band, which I think it's not, I don't know how they have a band later on. She rejects it, but she like, uh, I don't think she takes some like jewelry from Morris because she wants to pawn. I forget what it is. She wants to pawn some jewelry to get a guitar for the kid that they saw in a storefront. And it's like a, a weird kind of shape symbol guitar that the kid like really wants and that, that like that's prince's like famous guitar yeah he's, he's used that like uh, one of those is in the smithsonian now yeah it's kind of like a oh what would you go it's it it, yeah, like a I question guess. mark it's it's 
It's kind of like your classic guitar shape, but then the, the top piece is like extended and like wobbly. I don't know if there's a name for that. I want to say it's like a Fender SG, but <laughs> let me see. No, not Fender. We want Gibson. Is that a Gibson SG? I used to guitars. I, I really, I, I've attempted to play guitars a lot. I am not good at it, but yeah, um, it's vaguely like a Gibson SG, except like the top part has a very long, extended, eccentric loop to it. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, the bottom also has a cutout. The thing with the SG is it has like the kind of like inward cut, so it's almost like horns at yeah. the at the where the the bridge meets the the body. So that's why I compare it to the SG. So we cut to night, and the kid listens to Lisa and Wendy's demo tape, but then mom and dad get into a fight again. Here, the kid hits the dad and knocks him down, and so that and there's a bunch of like weird mismatched desperation going on <laughs> like you know everything stops after somebody gets hit and then there's just like the weird like now we're going to explain our problems but everyone's just sad and nobody's on the same page <laughs> we actually never get any dialogue from the mom it's weird yeah she's just there, she's to, be, there to get hit yeah it was weird <laughs> which here it's like you know it, it's presented like his dad is black and his mom is white i don't know if that's how is how it was in real life or not but or that's what the his parents no, actual both his parents were black okay i believe from the pictures i've seen i mean i can't tell from pictures then <laughs> I mean, it's sometime later and apollonia comes up by with the the weird the weird shaped guitar and she and gives it to the kid and then like they swap earrings for some reason i, I guess that's their a tone of affection it's like now we're like kind of married or something i don't know if that's something people did or just something weird people do for each other it's, it's like when do you think the eerie earring craze came around oh i remember it in the 80s when i was like in you know let's say it was like seventh or eighth grade so i would have been at like you know 86 87 yeah i remember like you had to put it you couldn't have it in both ears it was always one ear because if you had it I forget which year it was. Like, if you were in the wrong ear, it meant you were homosexual or something. Yeah, yeah, I believe if you had it in your right ear, that meant you were gay. Yeah. For men. For men, yeah. Yes. But also, men uh, didn't wear hoop earrings and stuff as portrayed in the movie. Uh, that was that was always like an ethnic thing. Um, huh. So like it was like uh, like white dudes had a little ringlet or maybe a stud. I never, I've never had my ears pierced. I'm not, no. like, I'm not an 18th century pirate. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the most costuming I'll do is like make props from like the movie Alien and wear them around. And I quit doing that because <laughs> they don't fit me anymore. And it led to too many strange conversations with weirdos that I didn't want to have. <laughs> it's like, hey, is that from the movie Aliens? Yes, that's cool. <laughs> Tell me about that. Like, well, no. <laughs> But yeah, so no, I never got into the piercing thing and all that. But I know men that wore earrings were considered rebellious from the 70s through the 80s. And then after that, now everyone's like, the other thing I don't do is they got tattoos all over their body. And I was like, I don't have any, which is uh, people have remarked. It's like, oh, yeah, you're kind of like a because I'm like one of those blue collar guys. It's like I clearly have all these working class credentials. It's like I don't have a tattoo on my body. It's like, why not? I said. I don't have anything I want to express that much <laughs> or, and I don't want to show off my body cause I'm just a fat slob. Yeah. So why would I want to put like an Eagle on my chest where it's like, 
you know, it's, I'm just like, you know, I, I never got it. But yeah. Yeah. I'm not opposed to like piercings or tattoos. I just don't like, that's maintenance. That's just extra maintenance that I don't want to buy. I, I like, I already have to worry about like just eyeglasses, man. <laughs> that's a problem. Yeah. That's been a thing with me. Like I'm supposed to wear, I have glasses now all the time that I wear, but I let, again, I let my wife do all that work. It's like, what do you think looks good? It's like, Oh, the ones from France. It's like, yeah, those look cool. They also cost a fortune, but whatever. I, you're the style <laughs> coach here. So I would literally yeah. dress like in a potato sack if it wasn't for my <laughs> wife. Like, I would have no idea what to do. Just a barrel with some straps on it. Yeah, I mean, I don't care. I would probably be clean shaven because it's less maintenance. Because I'm like, <laughs> I don't think, you know, it's like, oh, it's all my wife I have to thank for a lot of this stuff because it's like, I don't know. What do I do? Honey, help me. This is like, this is like hard like what's a color how many colors are there there's five no nathan there's a lot more than that no there's red <laughs> there's blue there's green there's yellow and i get older and sometimes they all look the same now and, <laughs> and then of course there's black my favorite color because i don't have to think to put those on so so yeah, yeah that's another sure has, huh your shirt has all those colors <laughs> yeah it's got everything <laughs> i officially bought a shirt for the podcast i've been doing for two years so i guess that means i'm bought into it yeah, we got your shirt one, their shirt two. Yeah, I actually got thin enough. For, I actually lost enough weight where I could actually order one. So you two listeners should commit to buy one of these great shirts <laughs> and then have to explain to strangers, like, what does that mean? It's like, well, it's a podcast. Let me tell you about it and then watch how quickly they run away. Yeah. Because um, everyone yeah, wants to like, talk uh, about your podcast. <laughs> yeah, because one, the letters don't necessarily match up. Two, it doesn't explain itself because I don't put any there on there where it says like the Verhoeven Effect podcast. Then I'm like, let's just because that then that's like, then you're just giving people like stuff to read. I want it to be like kind of more of a cool symbol rather than like it explain itself. Like we're not, even though we're technically a business, it's like I want to look cool more than be like a business card. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know about as much running about as much about running a business as I do nuclear physics, but I like to talk <laughs> about both. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so Apollonia gives him a gift. He's really happy. And then here she, she's happy too. And then she has like a plan, but he doesn't know about it. And so here's where Apollonia says that she's going to join Morse's group. And then he just hauls off and hits her. Yep. Which nowadays that would be the end of the movie. Not, not the narrative, but people would turn it off and, and never watch it again. It's like, nope, <laughs> this movie's canceled. <laughs> Yeah, that did seem kind of weird because uh, when I was watching it with my wife, even we were like looking at each other like, wow, okay. <laughs> but then we think about the lyrics to When Doves Cry. <laughs> Maybe I'm just like my father. Yeah. He was always too Which... bold. <laughs> and by bold, Which, it yeah. he hit like the weaker people <laughs> because <laughs> to show his dominance. Well, I mean, that's like, uh, like you know, the... I mean, I guess like the, the positive out of this is like, that's a bold choice for somebody making a movie about themselves to immediately put them like, well, now you're the villain. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do? What I play know? music and hit women. <laughs> like, huh? <laughs> Sometimes I hit my dad. Sometimes he hits me. It's yeah. a weird cycle. <laughs> or maybe it's because it's Prince. It's like, well, that's not intimidating. Yeah, how hard was that hit? Because I can imagine, like, if Prince... guy's five foot three and weighs thirty pounds. Like, if Prince hit me, would I be like stunned? And I'm not a tough guy either. Trust me, if you if you're a good guy, and know how to throw a punch and hit me in the face, I'm going down. 
But like if <laughs> Prince hit me, even if my nose was bleeding, I'd be like, what are you thinking? <laughs> like, where do you, where is this going to go? It's like, so maybe because he's actually smaller than Apollonia, it's like, oh, he has to assert himself because he's actually somewhat like, uh, you know, he, he feels he's de he's delicate. He's a sensitive man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he does woo when he sings and it works not very many men can carry that off so no maybe he can hit a woman i don't know i'm looking at it through more modern sensibilities where even i was like yeah. god damn dude really Did, is this what you well, also that's weird because you get a lot of like visual features of 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 prince it's like weird that he was like a sex symbol because like one he's five foot three two he's super skinny yeah and like and like, even though he like can look cool in an outfit, like when he starts talking, like his teeth kind of look weird. It's like, how did I, man, this guy's his full talent and personality. Oh, his head is Only way oversized for his body. <laughs> and I don't know if it really is proportionally. I'm assuming it is. Trust me, I come from the big head division of like, <laughs> yeah, my head's way, my head's way oversized for my body. Prince is crazy, but then he's got like a mane of hair that goes up. So it's even more yeah. exaggerated. But yeah, this guy weighed... Okay, autopsy. Um, spoiler, Prince died much later. Um, autopsy, five foot three, 120 pounds. My right leg weighs 120 pounds. Even now, <laughs> even though I'm not as nearly as fat as I used to be, it's like 120 pounds is ridiculous for a adult male <laughs> in a first world country where there's lots of food. It's like, that's nuts. <laughs> People in Russia would be like, "Oh, you're too small." <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> the kid shows up. The we got to the kid shows up to rehearsals this time. Lisa and Wendy are gone. Uh, Billy confronts the kid with a dilemma that like they're gonna go, they're gonna need to get rid of one of the acts because they got a new act coming in. So one of you has to go. And the kid uh, should have been me like, "New act, mother." It's Minneapolis in 1984. <laughs> Who's coming in? Run DMC, who you're trying to dress like? Who you know? But that didn't happen. <laughs> Uh, there's a montage that's basically just a music video for when doves cry mm -hmm. um which i assume is the most popular song out of this movie because i know it vaguely but i don't nathan what what is the most popular song out of this movie let's go crazy <laughs> let's get nuts because okay. that's the most that that transitions the most from 1999 that album okay uh purple or uh when doves cry is kind of that's almost like the cure, which was around at the same time. Yeah, it's, it's like it's still Prince. You know, it's Prince, but it's like, um, yeah, it's that's for me, my opinion, the most iconic song out of this is you know, let's go crazy, let's get nuts. Dun -dun -dun, okay. Dun -dun. But but when doves cry in the in this movie is great because it's like a <laughs> performance and a montage at the same time. So it like, oh, this is sort of cool. Well, I just heard it's like this is the only song I know from this this movie, so I just figured that was the the highest pop culture song, or maybe the biggest song Prince did, or maybe or what is the biggest part? Nineteen ninety nine, probably the most. Probably would be later in his. I think Purple Rain probably the biggest song out of this movie and off this album because they so directly relate and because that's like the end of the movie like that's the transition song where it's like oh you know the kid's gonna make it okay because he does purple rain i mean i'm jumping ahead here but it's like oh that's the emotional apex of this movie 
is when he's doing Purple Rain and they're showing that montage and his live performance. And he also is like, oh, they hate this. I'm, I'm done. My career is over. And then everyone, like, that's the moment when everyone's, like, slow clapping. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, so. Sorry yeah, to ruin the rest of the movie, but. Yeah. <laughs> you sure to watch the movie. No, sorry. We're here to explain the movie beat by beat. You don't have to watch it now. <laughs> and we're supposed to be finding, like, finding, like, depth and counter meaning in this. But, like, this movie, it's impossible. It is on its face what it is. There's like, no, this is Prince talking about the struggle of the proletariat. And, you know, and, and it's like, no, no, there's none of that. It's pop rock. Yeah, really, it's great. Yeah, really, it's like Prince is a dictator. But yeah. he just, he's living inside of another dictatorship. Yeah. It's, it's like, I want to take that guy. Prince swing. is the dictator of music. Of a, of a narrow genre of music that's like super popular at this particular time. Because nobody's copied Prince. That's one thing you can say, like about his. If you look at his music, nobody's copied him. The closest I could think was maybe The Cure, but they weren't copying each other. They were just kind of like in a similar vein. For me, I'd want. Being I would want to say this the, time. The, I would want to say The Weekend, but that's maybe because he's kind of a dark pop artist who's also black. But I don't know. No, um, I don't see The Weekend as Prince. I see The Weekend as like. Uh, well, he's like in the kind of like he does a lot. He does pop music, but it's very dark. So I'd say it just the how it's how it does the contrast is kind of along the lines of how Prince does stuff. But he does not necessarily he doesn't necessarily have the full on talent that Prince does. But hmm. um, that's had, what I'm trying to draw from. Yeah, he has talent, but it's not the ex see Prince had like that explosive talent, like yeah. Michael Jordan just doing the the, the you know just slamming. <laughs> doing the uh what do they call that just the alley-oop like turn around jump shot yeah jump shot <laughs> all or, day whereas the weekend's like i'm doing three pointers from half court constantly <laughs> it's like it's not as cool it's way more effective actually because i'm getting three points versus two. but and that's the end of my knowledge of sports but uh yeah no it's it's like uh yeah no one's ever copied prince exactly no um, no and they wouldn't want to because it would be obvious because Prince was so utterly unique. Because, like, Prince was, like, you could draw parallels between, like, him and Michael Jackson. But it's, like, nah, it's it's, it's similar but way different. Like, yeah. Michael Jackson was almost more cultured, maybe. Well, Michael Jackson was more produced no, and sometimes true. more well-produced. Prince is doing it all. Yeah. <laughs> oh and, and mom and dad i remember when i was a kid like i had the purple rain like cassette and like they didn't like that i was listening to that because there was so much it was just like open sex like disgust in it <laughs> you, you know it's it's like when he does darling nikki like you know yeah. listen to that song it's like oh she's just starting to grind and it was like <laughs> what does it mean when a woman grinds to to a 12 year old boy in the early, you know, eight, you know, it's like, so it's just getting 84, 80. So I would have been like 11 when I got into like, I got the Purple Rain album. And it's like, oh, it's a woman like grinding her crotch. It's like, I'm glad Nathan's listening to this at 11 years old. Uh, it's like Michael Jackson wasn't doing that. He was all family friendly. Prince yeah. was the opposite of family friendly. Uh, well, I mean, like Michael Jackson would do the crotch grab, which people didn't like. But like for, for the music itself was mostly family friendly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but Michael. I mean, so, I mean, stuff like, like, uh, oh, what was it? Smooth Criminal. Like, it's like, oh, somebody's breaking into the apartment and beating some lady upside the head, and she's unconscious and bleeding on the floor. 
that's crazy but the way he sings it, it that song doesn't seem as violent as it is like it's very the violence of the lyrics are lessened by the performance yeah. that is if you're asking on a different level. annie <laughs> if she's okay at like 240 beats per minute it's like oh it doesn't mean anything it's like annie, are, you okay? are you okay annie annie are you okay you've been hit by a smooth criminal it's like listen to the alien ant farm version of that if you really want to appreciate the lyrics but listen to the Michael Jackson version of it if you wanted to be carried away to a fantasy land. <laughs> but yeah, Michael Jackson would grab his crotch and go, woo, whereas Prince was like, I'm all over my body. It's like I'm <laughs> everything. I'm like, I'm not touching it. I am touching it. Um, well, honestly, like you I'm go making out. I'm, I'm, I'm making it like my female lead guitar is giving me head while I'm doing this yeah, song. Yeah, yeah. It's like, that's very Tool. It's like, Tool did this. You know, uh, (laughs) Ramstein does stuff like this. (laughs) Now, Prince was doing it in the 80s, early 80s, (laughs) mid 80s, maybe. But yeah, I know mom and dad didn't like it that I like Prince. I I remember that. It's like, what is this garbage you're listening to? I think mom's friend was a big fan of Prince. Probably. (laughs) I think Vicky was a big fan of Prince. I mean, I didn't realize how much I like Prince until, like, me and, uh, I'm going to just do this right now live. Me and Stacy were talking. I'm going to go to my music search. Oh, yeah, I have 34 Prince songs in my music collection. Okay, Johnny, let's so see, Johnny Cash, my second. Okay, I have 54 Johnny Cash songs. So, Johnny Cash was a little, let's see, let's see, Tool. 29 oh well but tool i also have pussifer which is like the lead singer of tool so if you add those together that's like 35 so yeah prince actually ranks pretty high in my i'm listening to music stuff and you know the i'm listening to music stuff is important to me now because i walk like two or three miles a day so i gotta have a lot of stuff to listen to yeah i don't don't think i've ever sat down and listened to like a prince album you should just get purple rain get the out go to the album or however you listen to music because i'm the old i'm using the old boomer style of i go to itunes and buy one song at a time so i have that collection Uh, i don't know what people get get on your spotify i have amazon music yeah that i don't do because i just like i'm gonna own this until like they have an update and then all of a sudden i gotta buy it again and i don't know i'm getting scammed but um I also have unlimited data, so I should use Spotify now because I just graduated to unlimited data a year ago, and I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> like, I have a phone bill now that's as much as my car payment five years ago. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Winning. Um, the kid comes home to his mom crying on the sidewalk. He goes in to confront his father. Oh, he this goes is down the up. This is a really <laughs> weird... I forgot about this part of this movie. He goes down in the basement where his father is playing piano. His father's playing some like decent music, but like for no purpose. It's like this isn't going anywhere. Yeah. This isn't this isn't for anybody. And so basically this is supposed to be like, hey, this is your future kid. <laughs> if you don't change your ways, you're just gonna become your dad. Best part of the movie right here, but definitely the <laughs> darkest part. Like I really like locked in on this part of the movie. It's like, oh wow. This is this is like harrowing in a subtle way this is the only subtlety in this movie right here um until like dad like well gets a revolver yeah. and, well what about what else about the scene because that's all i have written for it so well basically this is the father and the son like uh commiserating on mutual failure it's like yeah. okay you're 20 something 
in the Minneapolis like art music pop scene and you're kind of popular right now understand that I've been doing this three times as long as you kid and I don't even write this stuff down because it's just for me anymore because my life sucks all <laughs> I do is get drunk and hit my wife because things didn't work out the way they were supposed to for me and they're not going to work out the way they were supposed to for you either and that's like that's like super dark <laughs> uh, I, I know it's like trite and like but but in the in the context of this movie and everything we've seen so far it's like the dad passing the mantle of failure on to his son <laughs> it's like oh wow that's f***ed up um yeah it, it grabbed me watching this movie so yeah the dad's played by clarence williams the third who you've seen in something oh, yeah. he's, he's in like hundreds of things every, but... he's the character actor of the god <laughs> guy you know it's like i know this guy from everything and nothing like like i probably mo I, he's been in tons of things but where i know him the most is he's the bad guy in half baked yes yeah okay <laughs> i was i was trying to put it together but you got it okay uh so we cut to the revolution plays the kid is wearing like a lace mask on and no shirt he's yep. super sweaty <laughs> very sexy yeah, here's where he's like, you know, basically like filleting his guitar player. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, the lights go red, and here's where he performs "Darling Nikki," which I didn't. I I which weirdly I heard the Foo Fighters version first, which is not. <laughs> which I was like, I didn't know it was a Prince cover. It's oh, like that's yeah. a weird song to come out of Foo Fighters. It's weird, like you. It's a weird song yeah. to come out of Prince too, but not. <laughs> it's just like kind of strange, but yeah. What's the yeah, like famous? I forget. It was like it's all like, it like master. Dar Nikki was masturbating to a magazine, which is probably the most charged like lyrics in the song. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? On the surface, <laughs> it is, but when you realize she's just like grinding her crotch on his knee <laughs> later on, it's like, oh wow, that's actually worse than just saying she was masturbating. Because <laughs> that's like, oh, I'm doing like you know, I'm masturbating with my hands. Versus like, oh, everything's pre-sex, you know, because <laughs> for for those for the listeners who don't know, if a woman starts grinding her crotch on your knee, it's like, oh, it means that's like there's going to be sex coming up. So <laughs> that's what's if you and if you pay attention to the lyrics of this song, that's what's so weird about it. It's like, wow, <laughs> and he's just singing about this <laughs> in front of a room full of people. And presumably this would be about Apollonia, but like this never happens <laughs> that we saw. Mm. This uh um this Darling Nikki was based on a prince um fantasy he had about having sex with a woman in a barn <laughs> and, and like how it would be and uh and then Apollonia was kind of written into it later. It was filmed for the movie because if you notice there's a cutscene in there of them having sex in a barn. Where he's yeah. like he's laying down and she's on top, she's bare bare bottomed and just like grinding away on him it's like a you know a classic movie sex scene uh, um and that was actually based on like uh, where he came up with his song ideas like darling nikki is about uh, a scene about sex with a woman in a hayloft <laughs> which for me establishes prince's midwestern bona fides right there because <laughs> no one's having sex in a hayloft in los angeles or new york but in Minneapolis, it's like, of course, it's where the cheese comes from. It's, you gotta feed the cows. So we're having sex in a barn, and she's grinding her crotch on me, and it's very exciting. Uh, the scene was filmed, but not included in its entirety in the movie because it would have pushed it over into X rating territory. Okay. So that that that's yeah, 
Darling Nikki was the concept song for this movie by Prince about having sex with a woman in a dairy barn, which is like, <laughs> okay, he's definitely a cheesehead at this point. <laughs> well, also, like, it was, so I heard the Foo Fighters version first, which is also has weird because, like, it's not officially released. It's like a European import, which seems a scam. I don't know. Did you, did you ever used to buy like European import singles? Cause yeah, I was collecting all scam. the Nine Inch Nail stuff. It's a scam. And like it's say like, it, you know, Europe import and you know, Halo 6B. Yeah, or it was the like. Halo numbers you couldn't find in America. <laughs> but you paid $34 for the disc. Yeah. Uh, because it's like, oh, this is from like Europe. It's like, it's 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 mystical because the europeans are like culturally superior to us so this is going to be better <laughs> even though it's like yeah trent Reznor is from america it's like this isn't yeah no the european import stuff's a scam take it from a jethro tull fan it's, all a scam. <laughs> it's like it's nothing better than what we're getting because it's all about money but anyway hey so yeah, that song was a european import probably because prince didn't allow a cover to be sold from another band in america or something I oh prince was super litigious <laughs> when he was alive don't put anything on youtube from prince because <laughs> he will show up at your house at 3 a.m it's like i would like an apology and a camel according to kevin <laughs> smith <laughs> So he's, so he's performing uh, uh, Darling Nikki. Morris and Billy aren't impressed by it. This is the biggest like disconnect for me because like I like this song and there's an audience there liking it and the only one selling that like this is falling flat is just Billy and Morris Day being like perturbed by it. It's like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, almost being prudes. It's yeah. like you're a club owner and you're a guy with a bad pickup line. It's like one of you is a run DMC <laughs> club owner from the 80s and the other one is a guy in a zoot suit who can't pick up a woman to save his life. A woman who, by the way, had to run out on a cab because she couldn't pay a $32 fare, but you can't impress her. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're like, oh, this is, this is disturbing to our Midwestern sensitivities. It was a dumb scene. Like, okay, whatever. Cool. Uh, Apollonia gets pissed by the song because it's about her, and then she storms out. Uh, the kid runs to the back. Billy comes back there to argue with him about like n not to bring his personal stuff to the stage, and he compares him to his father, like to his disgust, like ah, I'm not my father, and that's when he really is. And then this also where he says like apparently the crowd was light, so yeah, again, not really sold. <laughs> yeah, the David <laughs> Bowie fans weren't into this. It's like... <laughs> so we cut to the next night, and here's where we have the new act, the Apollonia Six take stage. Which this is Morris's girl group. They perform Sex Shooter <laughs> and they like strip and sing. <laughs> so. It won the Golden Raspberry Award for that year for the worst song in a in a film. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna be a sex shooter. It's just dumb. You know yeah. why they're called Apollonia Six, right? No, Okay, because Prince uh of course this was another Prince like Guar artificial construct band we're gonna <laughs> feud with. Uh, because there were six breasts between the three lead singers. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if it's true, but I like it. I thought it was going to be some Apollo 6. I'm like, what happened to Apollo no, 6? No. <laughs> Prince is a beautiful pervert. But I do like the line in the, in the, in the song. It's like, sex shooter, get out your gun. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, Ramstein should cover this or something. <laughs> I did not know the who was it who did the cover of uh, Nick Darling Nikki, Foo Fighters. Okay, I'm gonna have to listen to that now. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, you can find it now. Now it's on the internet. But yeah, you couldn't. Yeah, find now it that there. Prince is dead, you can find it. <laughs> uh, you see the kid standing in the back. He's listening. Uh, Billy tells the kid that he better pack the joint tomorrow. Basically, they'll kick him out of his spot. Although that seems like an impossibility too, because like he's not even the opening act the next time. So it's like it doesn't matter if he packs them in. Well, somebody's going to pack them in. Yeah. So um again i you know it's not the dynamics of this aren't important i'm just trying to figure out like how would this really work and this doesn't give me a clue how this stuff really works yeah yeah i I mean me too because as someone who for his whole life has always wanted to be his own boss but knows he's not talented enough to be his own boss it's like what are the economics of this 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 entertainment i'm watching versus reality and it's like yeah this is frustrating (laughs) I know that I know this is bullshit, but I can't tell you why, because I'm not, you know, there yet. Uh, we cut the outside. Apollonia and Morris are getting drunk and like trying to get into a car, which this is supposed to be played off as creepy. Though here it seems like consensual, even though they're both drunk, and you know nowadays that's wrong. But the kid pulls up in the alley on his motorcycle and he knocks Morris down, like just kicks him as he drives by, <laughs> and then Apollonia gets on the back and they and leaves with the kid. As uh, someone who actually weird. has experience riding a motorcycle, you would break your damn leg uh, <laughs> if that guy didn't like take the fall, uh, you know, as, as like a prat fall or something. Because, yeah, it's uh, that's not going to work. <laughs> yeah, you better have a knee brace, or you're looking to fold your leg back doing that. So. Yeah, that leg better be stiff and don't, out. Don't, yeah, or don't fully lock your knee, or don't fully lock your leg. <laughs> because I'm going to tell you what, that's clutch, or, or I mean, that's shifter side. The, the leg he kicked <laughs> out was shifter side, so he can't, like, downshift or upshift. <laughs> so that, that thing's going to buckle like, you know, like a two-by-four hitting a brick wall at 400 miles an hour. <laughs> that's something uh, I know something about, damn it. <laughs> so, because, like, Apollonia and, and the kid are in conflict now, it seems weird that she's getting going away with him and it's about to get weirder because they get to an underpass that's really uncomfortable scene of like near abuse they're also like kissing but like neither of them want it it's like what's going on here uh but the kid doesn't hit her so that's character growth i guess yeah he's learned from his mistakes (laughs) he's like oh i'm just becoming my father so you know it's like that's his mission now don't be dead (laughs) yeah don't hit a woman just have unwanted makeout scenes (laughs) And making out must have been a big thing in the 80s because let me tell you like in the 90s in the early 2000s it wasn't a big deal yeah. i don't i don't understand like people don't get wound up by that anymore uh but yeah it's it's so weird when they film this stuff it's like yeah that's sexy it's like nah, <laughs> it isn't genitals um, would be out now before you know, <laughs> but you can't film that so the the kid gets home uh, like uh, Apollonia left so he goes home alone uh he gets in the home that's a rat the home is ravaged his dad is smoking in the hallway with a revolver the kid turns on always a, light a good sign hear- <laughs> yeah and then we hear a gunshot uh and then they, they they cut away and we cut to the paramedics come in and here we see the dad try to kill himself um and and I like I don't know if the kid is distraught that his dad tried to kill himself or if that he like relates to his dad killing himself too much. It's like, oh man, like I was gonna do that. <laughs> well, remember uh, the earlier scene is like his dad tried to pass the mantle of failure onto him as a musician yeah. and an artist, 
And it's like now he's like, oh, is this the ultimate end of a failure? Is, is like my suicide? It's, it's so he was like, that's what I saw. Is like, oh, he's emotionally. It's like I'm gonna end up with a 38, and you know, to my head or something yeah. later on in life. It's like uh, I can't, I can't deal with this, so I'm gonna tear the house apart. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. He has flashes of like the chalk outline and a rope that's just independent. It's like that's that's supposed to be like, well, that's how he's gonna kill himself by hanging. And so he starts trashing the basement. And again, this is just mirroring what his dad just did because he came home to a house all broken apart. Yeah. So he's just going through the motions of what his dad just did. Which and then he remember comes. Remember the the lyrics to When Doves Cry. It's like, oh, it all ties in. <laughs> Uh, and then he comes across some of his dad's sheet music, which his dad claimed he never did. Yeah. Remember, it's like, I don't write this down. This is just for me. <laughs> I was like, well, no, actually he did. Apparently. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but this kind of calms him down and then he just like falls asleep rather than killing himself. So, yeah. Uh, so I have that being the end of act two. So we have act three the next morning. The kid, the kid survives his own drama. He puts on the Lisa and Wendy demo, demo, and he keeps like rewinding it, and you know, listens to it about three times, and then he just starts playing it on the piano because uh, that's the kind of genius he can do, where you can just listen to something and then just recreate it, and then also riff on it and stuff like that. Which I know that stuff to be true. I've seen that. So yeah. Um, uh, then we cut to the time is playing. The place is packed. Everyone's screaming. Uh, here they're playing. Was it? Uh, was a bird? The bird, yeah. <laughs> oh we, oh we, oh, you know, it's like, and everyone's just like enthralled with this. Yeah, yeah. even the punk rock looking people are like, "This is great." And it's like, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think that would happen. Well, well, I mean, that's the thing here is like, this is like super mainstream music. Like, I mean, yeah. this stuff happens all the time where it's like, you know, it's like the Macarena, which is now even like thirty years old or whatever. But it's like, you know, it's like, here's a catchy song, and then there's a dance including with it, and then it sells, like, 50 million copies, and you're like, is this good? Like, well, no, but it's just kind of fun and innocent, so. <laughs> well, see, here's the thing. Like, when, I, when I'm, like, thinking about this era and genre of music, I always think of, like, Nick Cave <laughs> in New York in the 1980s. You know, it's like, oh, this is all such bullshit can't do an australian accent everyone so it's like but yeah it's, this is all such bullshit i hate all this and mark maron's like no you're a cowboy it's like i'm not a fucking cowboy mate it's, <laughs> it's like that's what i but, but the people they have in the audience it's like oh these are like yeah like the nick cave people trying to understand music in the 80s and it's like doesn't jibe w with the song <laughs> it, it jibes more with this like and this i can tell like this is a vehicle for prince it's like, oh, I could see some of these people being into Prince music because it's like, this is cool yeah. and edgy. But, you know, uh, Morris Day in the time, it's like no one's doing the bird or the dinosaur <laughs> or any other shit that they're doing. It's like, so the rivalry between these two bands seems idiotic. Like, you're not competing for the same audience. Yeah, well, I mean, this is show, supposed to show the contrast. It's like Morris Day is doing a, a mainstream song. Mm -hmm. Everybody loves it. And much like what we learn about comedy routines and stuff it's like this leaves the audience on a high which means who's following it is now f yeah because they either have to bring that same energy or lose the audience or bring a different energy yeah or joey <laughs> diaz has to have his dick out on stage because that there's no way to follow you know x y or z yeah yeah i've, I've heard that in comedy well, too 
And you know, this is why like people hated Dane Cook so much. Is like he would bring the audience so high that nobody could follow them. Yeah. And you know, and, and but he had such that like that energy to him that he could play like stadiums and stuff because he's gonna pack the crowd because that's kind of the energy he brought. Uh, and then like. Was the content that good, or was it just all energy? And it's like that's up to you, man. <laughs> well, it, it's too bad that like Dane Cook and Bill Hicks didn't exist at the same time, because that would have been an interesting like oh point counterpoint. <laughs> <laughs> the only person that can follow Dane Cook is Bill. Hicks. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, it would have been amazing. Um, Let me tell you about Reagan and his sex pool. <laughs> yeah. Rush Limbaugh's getting into the sex spa. <laughs> and the only way his like weird is getting hard is if Barbara Bush is hitting him with a you know pair of pliers La- or something. Yeah, labia is unfolding like a devil's tongue in an asphalt garden. Yeah, <laughs> it's too bad those guys didn't exist at the same time. I mean, they might have. Dane Cook's actually like whale. Than you think he is? But I don't think, I think Bill like Cooks, Bill, uh, I'm sorry, Bill Hicks ever followed him. That you know. Yeah, no. yeah, because I think like Bill Hicks was coming up around the time like Mark Maron was like trying to make his way in. Yeah, <laughs> but also like we really know Bill Hicks, but almost actually in reality, nobody f- knows who Bill Hicks is. Even really? Less today. <laughs> oh, I thought everyone knew who he was. I have all his albums. No, he. Yeah, like I had like that was a, like an early like late 90s early 2000s like when you had like napster and stuff like that like that stuff got around but like he you know he was already dead by then so it's kind of a thing you had to find and discover it's like yeah this guy's great but then like you could only mine like old material and stuff like that well see like there's nothing further to go on that's the thing like, like like bill hicks art bell and uh what's the other guy's name like alex jones they they all kind of merged in my mind because you ever heard the weird theory that like Alex Jones is just Bill Hicks because Bill Hicks faked his own death, <laughs> and because once like Art Bell kind of fell off the scene and all I had was uh, was Alex Jones, it's like I wanted to believe like Alex Jones was really Bill Hicks, even though I knew he wasn't, uh, because it was like oh that would be amazing if that was the case. Like Bill Hicks faked his own death to abandon comedy and just go straight into conspiracy theories. <laughs> Um, but of course that wasn't the case, but you know, it was, it was always fun to imagine like, Oh, that's real. And I'm talking about stuff that was like, you know, 20 years ago was cool. So I'm, that's how outdated I am. I went, well, yeah, I remember that there's the Bill Hicks description of like, why, why nothing ever changes because of why do government officials say they're going to change thing and nothing ever changes. And he has a description of like, like the president being elected and then them being shown a new angle of the assassination of JFK. And that whole story is like, as he tells it, like, you know, he does a great job of it, but now that's just like, that's something conspiracy theorists say, not knowing it has an origin to a comedian who is just making Yeah, They're like, no, this is true. That's how religion (laughs) starts. That's that's, that's how God is made is is like, Oh, what? Yeah, we're just going to repeat something often said by, you know, a genius who, who like, died before his time because he was so smart. He was like, I'm just going to smoke and drink because I don't want to live very long because I know life sucks <laughs> and I can tell you why it sucks. Uh, and then it becomes like, oh, no, this was like God said this. It's like, no, Bill Hicks said this a long time ago. 
It's like, no, it doesn't matter. It's like we can make money off this. You know, the rubes will give us cash for uh, believing that this was like, no, it was a conspiracy. I don't know what this has to do with this movie, but yeah. Oh, we're talking about like energy matching. So like the Morris Stains, I just tore the house down in the revolution have to follow it. And it's like, well, they're just doomed for failure here. Okay. I'm and glad you the remember that. Yeah. And this is the juxtaposition between like, okay, Morris Day doing mainstream music and then the revolution doing their weird stuff. And that's the whole problem with this movie. It's like, can you do something that's weird and mainstream? That's like kind of like the whole thing here. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. It mismatched <laughs> adversaries. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, the, the time roll through the back with like high energy, like yeah, we just throw the house down, and then they make fun of the res- revolution. But like, hey, it's like problems going on because like the revolution are quiet, nobody's talking to each other. It's like, oh so, yeah, like, Morris well, stays like, yeah, how's the family knowing that his dad like <laughs> shot himself in the head? Which would be like, <laughs> you would have to be like, look, I'm a cold-hearted person, and people I hate, I will say mean things to. I would never joke about your dad's <laughs> suicide attempt, which we only find out was an attempt later. Yeah. Cause he didn't succeed because yeah, you know, I can tell you about the, you know, parabola of a 38, you know, non plus P <laughs> round you know, aimed at your head, but no one wants to hear that story. But yeah. So anyway, Morris stays like, how's the family? <laughs> Everyone laughs. And then weirdly, as they walk down the, the nightmare corridor, which is like one of the, filming tropes of this movie where everything's yeah. lit wrong and it looks like a horror movie more stays actually sad once the entourage leaves him he's like oh i shouldn't have said that yeah <laughs> it's like a strange but uh like a scene you wouldn't see in any other movie yeah uh so it was vaguely yeah the cool. bad person's supposed to be completely bad they're not actually supposed to be like mad at themselves yeah <laughs> like, i shouldn't have said that that's fucked up <laughs> The kid grabs his white guitar from Apollonia and then the band follows after. They go on stage to like light applause. <laughs> the audience stares daggers into them. Yeah, it's like they right, hate right. him all of a sudden. It's like, we yeah. want to see the bird. <laughs> oh, we, oh, we, oh, we want more of that shit. You know, we're all, you know, strapped out of our minds on Coke. Um, he dedicates the song to his father. Uh, and he gives Lisa and Wendy credit for the song they're going to play. And it's the titular song, Purple Rain. Yep. <laughs> uh, which Very the, well the crowd... done. Very well yeah. done. Cinematically crowd... and musically. Yeah. The, well, the crowd vibes with it, but this is a completely different energy song. So it's like a somber ballad. Yeah. But he, he grabs them and it's not, and it's not with a mainstream song, but he gets them. Um, you know, sometimes even though like, you know, you know ballads are, I'm not sure if you name it because usually I you, I'm not sure how ballad is what context you usually usually see in context with like a, with like a a hard rock band or no like a got uh glam rock band from the 80s where yeah. it's like they do hard music and then occasionally they'll do like a somber song yeah like, like hair hair music like hair metal yeah yeah hair metal yeah yeah uh and it's like yeah you gotta do a bunch of hard songs but you gotta do one soft song and then that one soft song will sell like triple because like now because then like the guys will like it because they like the hard stuff and then but then and so like they'll approve of it because the same band that makes the hard stuff but then women will like it too and that's because you're getting both audiences that's when you're like sell the crap out of your album yeah we can have feelings because it's not gay because <laughs> these guys did like you know like doc like some song like yeah they, they, they sung they sung enough about like having sex everywhere in the world and and orgies all over the place and then they can do a sad song about like their their 
their uh their girlfriend left <laughs> yeah. it's like well yeah you're having all that orgy seller sex of course they're gonna leave you <laughs> i can't believe she left me <laughs> i only had triple herpes from the <laughs> that hateful woman the, yeah they end the song the band gets an ovation here the kid runs the back so he's basically well, we did our one song, Time to Leave, which is his usual routine. Well, I saw He's this like, as Ugh. like rejection, like, oh, the audience hated it. I can't deal with it. I'm too emotional. Yeah. I got to go jump on my motorcycle and get out of here. And he's filled he's filled with anxiety because he's like pacing around the motorcycle. He's like, do I go back? Do I leave? Do I go back? So he's like, you know, you can, you know, it's done very quickly, but you can read it all. It's, it's very well done. Well, you know why it's uh, so well done? Why Prince carries that off so well? Because I read he was absolutely, like, perplexed with stage fright. <laughs> like, people had to talk him up to go perform. You wouldn't believe that watching any of his performances. <laughs> but he was like, oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. They're going to hate me. You know, he, he was like a guy with a – there was a lot of self-doubt in Prince. You don't think about that as being real. But according yeah. to everyone who knew him, it was like, oh, it's very real. Like, this guy couldn't <laughs> – he had so much um well it's kind of like you said earlier about like the stanley kubrick thing it's like he he could critique his stuff way worse than anyone else could yeah. and he knew like oh this sucks because of this this isn't that and and he would tear himself apart so you know it explained a lot of his like later in life problems with like i need <laughs> a lot of drugs to function <laughs> especially a lot of like you know pharmaceutical grade like stuff to to make it work which was sad but you know. <laughs> but then he he he, uh, he he kind of gathers up some energy and then he goes back in to go back on stage and he's going through the hallways it's filled with people and people are either crying or clapping yeah so he's like okay i had the correct effect <laughs> that's what was intended and that was the result right <laughs> uh, and he runs into apple and too where here they kind of like uh he you know they kind of make up in a sort of a manner uh it's like now it's on equal terms now it's not it's less weird <laughs> yeah i respect you as a human and i won't hit you as much <laughs> or maybe not ever we don't know though that's part of the fun it's the mystery of will i hit you yeah. or not but they share a light kiss which kind of means like is that back together or is that kind of like you know you know like well we're part ways here but you know that's got another dilemma i guess for yeah you don't know it's like quickly. do i respect your existence or do i love you it's <laughs> but the cool thing about this like the thing about this scene that i love and the cool thing about like this whole movie is like he doesn't realize that people really like him yeah he thinks he's he's like a failure because of his dad because of self-doubt and everything else and this scene really is like super effective this is like the best part of the movie right here at the end which was probably written that way but it's like oh yeah this guy he, he doesn't understand why people like him he, he doesn't get it which like makes him vulnerable as a human it's like oh he is this immensely talented guy who doesn't think that anyone would like this song, but they love it. It's like the best thing he's ever done. You know, even Morris Day's clapping at the end, who was making a joke about his dad trying to kill himself earlier. Because like, Prince didn't see the regret. You know, It's like, oh, I have to show out for my people, but really it's like, that was a screwed up thing to do. But even though the performance of Purple Rain is great, but this is also, they basically make it seem like it's spontaneous because then like he starts playing... 
Lisa and Wendy's like like guitar licks, and they're like, "Oh, that's our song. We're doing that." And then everyone else clicks in, and we're it makes it seem like nobody knew what the song was, and it was spontaneously generated on the spot, which is almost never true. <laughs> yeah, that's not that's not how it really worked. That's how you hope it works, but it's like yeah, people aren't no. that smart where they can like, <laughs> yeah, just roll with this. It's just it's just like the, these beats, like boom, 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 boom. Like we're gonna do a perfect song. We're not going to miss a cue. We're not going to start late or early in our vocals. Never happens in the real world. But it's like, oh, it would be magical if, like, you know, a wizard came and made a magic spell where we wouldn't screw this up. Uh, so the kid has head back on back on stage. Here they play a more upbeat song, although like lyrically it's not really upbeat. No, pay attention to the words, I, kids. But yeah, uh, you know, it's the "I would die for you," which is like, oh, that's not great. Uh, which we have intercut between, it's actually, a, I think, believe it's a flash forward of him visiting his dad at the hospital. So it's like, okay, he's still alive. Yeah, you don't know the dad's um, al still alive until this point. Yeah. He's got his head like in a big turban <laughs> because he was firing a low velocity 38 instead of a plus P, which like I have a plus <laughs> P, which like will penetrate the skull. But a 38 low velocity will actually like you'll shoot it in. And it'll like go under your skin, but won't be hard enough to pierce the skull, so it'll kind of glance around. But it'll put enough pressure on your skull where you'll need some kind of turban because. <laughs> Are we being home invaded? I don't know why the dog's barking like that, but. Okay, anyway. Yeah, so anyway. Use high velocity, kids. <laughs> um the song is i would die for you which is the song inspired by his dad because yeah. that's a line he was saying to his wife like to try to say like like he's trying to say i love you by saying like i would end my life for you but i'm still and, gonna beat the shit out of you every friday yeah. when i'm drunk uh and so we also intercut with the kid going in the and this is also i believe a flash forward the kid is in the basement picking up the sheet music which from his dad so like not only is the song using uh, a line that his dad said but it's also this is his dad's music and like kind of in the revolution version of it yeah um which they're spontaneously performing live <laughs> <laughs> yeah without the sheet music <laughs> yeah no they're just like hey just keep riffing along with it uh so in the intercut which I believe is a flash forward. Apollonia is there, and they're basically this is where they make up. So again, I don't I don't know if this is a flash forward or a dream sequence. It's up for you to decide. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we then we dissolve to the next song, like a cross dissolve, and then they're playing "Baby I'm a Star." Uh, the jizz guitar gets brought out, <laughs> or it's just a guitar that starts spraying water all over the audience. <laughs> Uh, and then we have a freeze frame of the kid while he's kind of has his back to the camera. He's like looking over his shoulder and freeze frame and credits. Yep. <laughs> and the credits roll over that. And it's also doing a smash cut of all the songs in the movie. And that's the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Jizz guitar is the best. <laughs> I was actually, uh, what did I call it? Like uh, a golden shower guitar. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was like, yeah, it's the Golden Shower uh, solo. It's like, that's weird. <laughs> Who does that? Well, well, you know, the uh, in the, um, you know, the band in Star Wars that in the in the 
in the lexicon of George Lucas's Star Wars stuff, uh, that is called jizz music. Nice. I like that. <laughs> Good on you, George. You got us. Which I'm guessing when he came up with that, he didn't, uh, either that wasn't a term then or he didn't realize it was. And he was just like, yeah, we'll just take jazz and replace one of the, one of the vowels. <laughs> we'll just take the one vowel and change it to a different one. <laughs> yeah I, I don't know when like the most perverse uh terms came into our lexicon you know i didn't because i found out the other day that pussy wasn't a word until like the late 19th early 20th century like that wasn't huh. a thing it was like before then it's like oh okay that's weird because there's a lot of like old terms like you know you'll hear you know talking about a cat or a person's face like a sour face was like ah it's a sour puss and I couldn't look into his puss, you know, as it was, what are you saying, dude? It's like, oh, it was written in like the 1850s. It's like, that doesn't mean the same thing. So who knows? Yeah, jizz music. That's great. <laughs> so yeah, uh, this movie had like a $7 million budget and it made like 70 million. So it was pretty successful. And like a lot of people passed on this. This is why the, the, the director, or no, so the director was his a his manager, but his agent because everybody passed on it had to produce this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. David so, Geffen passed on it. Um, I think Richard Pryor was offered to be have a producing role in it. So yeah, he I heard about on. Richard Pryor, and I know they approached the people that uh, in the UK that did Pink Floyd, The Wall, and they were like, "No, we don't think this is for us." Like, yeah, it got it, it moved around a lot. And while it, that happened, the script was being rewritten. Uh, and the script was being rewritten daily on the set by Prince and some other people who, who were like, oh, I want this scene to be like this. And there was a lot of that going on, too. Uh, supposedly, I don't know. I just watched um, videos so, on it. So even though like this kind of all came about because they wanted to make a movie and the movie was successful, the album, however, was wildly successful oh, yeah. and one of the biggest albums of all time. Uh, I think, yeah, thirteen the, times uh, platinum. No, it's more than that. Well, I, I think it was like something like a nineteen ninety eight no, number had it around seventeen million, but like, and then there was a two thousand eight number that it passed over twenty five million. Yeah. So lifetime, it's around twenty five million sold copies. I could believe. That. So I mean, I have almost <laughs> all the songs off the album on iTunes. So. <laughs> um, which you know, there's a like that's. I think that's the second tier. Like the highest tier is like forty million, which that's like Thriller and like BG albums or something like that. Dark um, Side of the Moon. Then, yeah, but yeah, this yeah this is a cool movie. It's on Amazon Prime. You can watch it if you have Prime. <laughs> yeah, and, and why not? It's fun. I mean, it's it's almost like a time machine. It's like oh, this yeah, was yeah. music in the eighties. Yeah, I never saw this before, and yeah, it's yeah I don't know. Yeah, it looks pretty good. Like it doesn't. Cause like you think like this and Ghostbusters came out at the same time, and every time you see Ghostbusters, it just seems like an older movie than what it is. Yeah. Uh, this this I don't know if they shot on different film stock or the, uh, or they just had a better what do you call that restoration or something, but, or, or maybe I just haven't seen a restoration of Ghostbusters and it would look exactly the same. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if this is different because it was produced mostly by music people versus uh, movie people i'm not sure yeah i'm not sure if that like played a part into how it looked and how it felt 
And I'm assuming that Prince made them have to shoot this in Minneapolis, right? Because oh never yeah, likes yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't, I don't even know another movie that's like shot in Minneapolis. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't think of one off the top of my head. <laughs> I mean, what um, other celebrities are from Minneapolis? Oh, there's got to be a bunch. I mean, isn't like Al Franken from there, or at least he's from the state? I know he was a senator from from Minnesota, but I don't know if he's from Minneapolis, or maybe he just moved there at some point. Celebrities Minneapolis. Well, Prince number one, uh, <laughs> Vince Vaughn. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm trying to think of any uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Josh Hartnett, um, Charles huh. Schultz, the guy who created Peanuts, uh, Pop Dylan. Okay, Sean William Scott. <laughs> uh, okay, right. there's a lot of people from there. Huh. Let's see. Famous people from Minnesota in general. Um there's a lot of people. Yeah, you know, Vince Vaughn, Winona Ryder. Huh. She's from Minnesota, not Minneapolis. Yeah. Um John Madden's from Minneapolis. Or was. Huh. Joel and Ethan Cohen from St. Louis Park, Minneapolis. Okay. Okay, well now Fargo makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Chris Pratt's from, uh, well, he was from Virginia and Minneapolis. Uh, Bob Dylan's from Duluth, Minnesota. Yeah, Prince is like the most famous guy. Yeah, there's there's a great story on the, I think it's the first evening with maybe Kevin Smith has a story about working with Prince because I forget what they were supposed to work on. But apparently Prince liked something Kevin Smith did. Yeah. And so he just hired Kevin Smith to like, yeah, we're going to make a music video or something. And then he goes into his house and I guess he like goes in the bathroom and there's like a sign that says like this entire house is wired for sound. So basically anytime, anywhere, if Prince wants to make music, he can record it because his entire house is a recording studio. <laughs> That's nice. There's also apparently just like tons of unreleased albums. Like he just make music, be disappointed with it and shovel it away. Oh, yeah. I've heard <laughs> about that. Like, yeah, there's like thousands of hours of recording things didn't he want a camel also at 3 a.m <laughs> yeah, Isn't that yeah, from an evening with it's yeah probably yeah. like yeah i need a camel it's like 3 a.m in you know minnesota it's like we're gonna get a camel it's like well prince, <laughs> prince will find a way <laughs> well it's prince so we gotta make this happen yeah because he had like a recording studio slash residence slash everything called paisley park which I guess was oh, okay. defunct in 1994, but was still maintained as a residence and a recording studio later. Because there was also a movie production, documentary production thing that went along with it. Um, yeah. But it sounds like, yeah, Prince was a guy with a lot of uh, a lot of big ideas. It's like, let's do this. And he was like the main idea guy, but not really a details man. <laughs> so some of that stuff didn't pan out. Well, yeah, because I think like the, the I think that was the documentary that Kevin Smith was shooting, and like they shot a bunch of it, and then it just, like he said, like it just went into a bolt. And nobody ever edited it or put it together. It just exists, yeah, <laughs> raw somewhere. I was all looked up like that Seventh Avenue Club is like it still exists. Uh, it apparently fell apart during a performance one day, so, but it's still around and they're still holding. You know, it's still a venue holding music and stuff there. Although I looked up like who's playing there now and like I don't know who anybody is. Yeah. <laughs> Although there was some band called Derecho and I'm like, huh, I wonder if that's recent or if they've just always been called that. Yeah. That'd be interesting to know. 
because <laughs> uh, in Cedar Rapids we had in 2020 or 2021, you know, just when the pandemic, you know, if you thought that the pandemic was bad, we had a thing called derecho, which is like a land hurricane that completely the city. <laughs> guys never, have you completely recovered from that yet? Yeah, mostly. I mean, because you guys had but, the, like the flood of the Mississippi River, like what, 10 years before that or eight years before uh, that? Cedar River, but yeah, yeah, 2008. Yeah. flooded pretty much all of downtown um, yeah you live in a weird place with a lot of violent weather yeah <laughs> that's the nice thing about living in michigan especially the part of michigan i do safest area in the country for weather <laughs> not so much for like being shot or violence like the, the, the <laughs> rates are pretty high around uh you know kind of near me but as far like we don't have tornadoes here or when we do they're really rare but you guys have like Oh, like land hurricanes, floods, and, and you know, biblical uh, locusts, and it's like, no, nah, I don't have any of that here. Well, the thing, well, the thing with the Rachos, and I, I describe it as a land hurricane because that's like the speeds the wind get up to, but it's just a sheer line speed. It all goes in one straight line, and it's like oh, 120 miles per hour, and it lasts for about 15 minutes, and because it's all in a straight line, it's just it makes everything give, and so just like. So yeah, it becomes the it becomes the damage that keeps on giving because you don't know like what damage will cause be a future problem later on. We're like, oh, now this tree is gonna fall apart because ten years ago it got pushed around too hard. And, yeah, you're and only being pushed fall. in one direction. It's not like unidirectional <laughs> where it rocks back and forth. It's like no, it's all going to the northeast. And yeah, I saw videos yeah, yeah. of that. It was like insane. It was like, is there is there a tornado? It's like, no, that tree's <laughs> just landing on the street because because of you know sheer winds. Yeah. But you know, for all you people who want to make something weird about it and try to raise our taxes so we can't use gasoline, those have happened how many times in Iowa? Uh, I mean, quite a bit. I don't know. I mean, it's not the something thing. that just happened because cl climate change is what I'm saying. It's like you know. They they've had those happen a few times. Yeah, I mean that, but that was yeah, that was. I mean, that's the weird thing is like it's like because we're really close to Iowa City, and you think like you know something this big, like oh I had it, but no, you drive down Iowa City, nothing happened there. Yeah, that's just a small window that this took, and it just hit one of the biggest cities in Iowa. Yeah. It's like that's weird, but now like even, but now like the the weather service they'll put out warnings just for like, Hey, the conditions are right for this again. So now there's even more like, Hey, severe weather, wit's going to get windy. It's like, Oh God, is it coming again? <laughs> well, that's what happens when the population of your country goes from 75 million to almost 400 million. It's like, Oh, now all of a sudden these places that weren't being hit before, it's like, Oh, people live here. Now it matters. It's not like some weird phenomenon. Like remember when all the trees were flying around in the upper atmosphere. It's like, no, now there's a city there. It's like, Oh no. But also something like, you know, you know, tornadoes are pretty pervasive and like they destroy everything. Like you see, I've, there's literal towns in Iowa where the entire town was destroyed, but yeah. they were very small towns. But man, I don't think there's ever been like a tornado that hit like a like an F5 that hits a major metropolitan area where it's like the day after tomorrow. Shit. Like, I don't think that's ever happened. No, but it's got to happen at some point. Yeah, well, that's that's. <laughs> Because Cedar Rapids, you're roughly the size of the largest city I near, live near, which is Ann Arbor. And the most exciting thing that happens in Arbor, Ann Arbor is it rains too much or it gets too cold. 
Like we don't have the insane weather here that you guys do because the Great Lakes kind of keeps us. I mean, we have tornadoes here, but it's like the Great Lakes kind of shelters us. Because I remember when I read that article in the New York Times, like the safest place to live in the next 20 years is Michigan. It's like, oh, that's nice. you know. But it also says in the Bible, in the end times, people will seek you know, water. It's like, well, this all makes sense. That's why the Bible's true. Not sure if any other follow-up. So we'll just go into. We're sending a probe into space containing the supercut of scenes from the imperfect collection that is the Verhoeven effect. Uh, we have one scene to choose from to represent the movie. Uh, so Nathan, what what scene from Purple Rain are we chucking into space? Obviously, the titular song from the movie, the Purple Rain, uh, you know, music and video montage. Okay. It explains the whole movie. <laughs> Well, if you like what you heard and how can it you, you can find our podcast at VerhovenEffect.com. Uh, on whatever platform of choice you're listening to, you can rate our podcast. You can rate us whatever you want, but remember that the algorithm only listens to the highest rating. Remember, you control the algorithm. The algorithm doesn't control you. Also, VerhovenEffect.com, we have listener support where you can support this podcast of a monthly stipend either $0.99, cents, $4.99, or nine ninety nine. Uh, you can follow us at Twitter at VerhovenEffect. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, VerhovenEffect. You can find us on YouTube at American Greed Factory. You can watch both this and that show live and unedited. And we also have t-shirts at belowthecollar.com slash greed factory. So for the Vero Effect podcast, I'm Conlon. I'm Nathan. Goodbye, America. <laughs>